A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 44, it looks like, of the Small Machine Talks. I'm A.M. Kozak, and I'm here with Amanda Earl and Ben Latticer, who is our special guest today. And we're going to interview him about his most recent book, uh, maybe talk about some very early on chapbooks that we uh, have, have read and Amanda has a stack of. And uh, how about Amanda? Should we start with the bio? We shall start with the bio, and also I think we I think we should know we're we're actually getting to the end of our third year. I think we okay, might okay. Be... Yeah, that's a long time. And yet we're still not that great at doing this intro part. No, no, we're. we're I think we of... plan to be awkward. I think that's part of the oh, endearing part of the. It's podcast. on the checklist. Be awkward. Yes. All right. So let's inter- let's read. I'm reading uh, the uh, in, uh, the bio from Mad Long Emotion. Ben Ladusser is the author of nine chapbooks, including BP Nickel Award nominee Limekiln Key. Uh, key Road. I, I got confused about that again. And you pr- practiced this too. I practiced that key and I went, ah! And the collection Otter, which was named a best book of 2015 by the National Post, nominated for a, a Lambda Literary Award and award the Gerard Lampert Memorial Prize for Best Poetry Debut in Canada. I'm, I'm pronouncing almost everything wrong now. This is great. He has published poems in Poetry, The All, and The Best of the Best Canadian Poetry, and Short Fiction in Maisonneuve, The Malahat Review, and Prairie Fire, among other publications. He completed a three-month residency at the Al Purdy A-Frame in Ameliasburg, Ontario in 2016. He was prose editor for Arc Poetry Magazine from 2015 to 2018 and received the Writers' Trust of Canada Dane Ogilvy Prize for Emerging LGBTQ Writers in 2018. He lives in Ottawa. Welcome, Ben. Thank you so much. I apologize for pronouncing everything wrong. That's okay. You pronounced my name correctly. That's the only thing that matters. That's right. Mm -hmm. Good. So, Amanda, would you like to ask the first question? Shall we get right into it or shall we chit-chat? Oh, let's get into it. We can chit. We can chat. We'll chit chat throughout okay. the interview. Unless, I'm unless sure. you'd rather you need a little chit or chat. No, I mean whatever right. you guys think is best. <laughs> well, we don't really know anything about. I don't know personally. I can't speak for Aaron, but I don't. know. I don't know what's best. No. Why don't we jump right into right. it? So the first question is about influences. So uh, I don't know if you've read um, the anthology um, Seminal, which is the anthology of Canada's gay male poets, uh, which was published in, uh, by Arsenal Pulp Press in 2007. It's a great anthology. So, uh, oh, by the way, the, let the record show that Ben nodded when I asked him. If yeah, he, I read that thing cover to cover. It, it wasn't sure. the question, so he, he didn't think he was on, but he's on. John Barton quotes Robert K. Martin, who writes, The homosexual poet often seeks poetic fathers who in some sense offer a validation of his sexual nature. Who are your poetic fathers? Who are my poetic fathers? Yeah. Well, so that book was edited by John Barton, who I did. So it came out in 2007. I remember when it came out. I was a mm-hmm. university student. I was living in South Keys with roommates, and I was going to go to the launch. And I didn't go to that many, like, literary things at that point in my life, except for, like, inward readings, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was going to go to the launch, but then I got food poisoning because we found, <laughs> because our landlord Sorry, had laugh. left all this, like, food in our place, and we, like, didn't know what we were doing with life. So we just, like, you ate cooked. food that was left it there was by like your landlord? It was, dried pineapple sauce mix. And we are like, cool, let's How do this. How bad could that be? And we just added water, and then I got in violently ill, so I missed the launch. And I would have, I think that John Bart I don't, I don't remember that well now but I think that he was in town so like I would have met him and I probably would have been like dorky and like yes, yeah. awkward and like tried to like 
say hello and make an impression on him. And I'm really glad that I didn't meet Don <laughs> Barton until like 10 years after that. So maybe it's good that I that I ate the pineapple crap and got food poisoning. Um, Is that your answer? <laughs> no, that's just my fun story about, oh, okay. about that book. But I did end up buying the book anyways. And then that yep. book, The Anthology of Canada's Gay Male Poets Seminal, was a super duper duper important book to me. It's a great book. And I did read it a lot. And I think that it was the first like anthology that I got outside of the classroom that I really engaged with. The Western lot. Wind, <laughs> or whatever that book is that they make you study in um, in English uh, in poetry, the intro to poetry class is the Westward Wind or something. Go to the West Wind, you mean? No, something. I don't know. The, it's a whole book. It's an oh, anthology. No. I've yeah. never heard of that one. Oh, okay. I don't know. I remember dropping hundreds of dollars at the Carleton University bookstore on like various anthologies, yeah, none same, of which mean yeah. very much to me now, but that book meant a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, and that was kind of w one of the handful of times where I was like, oh, there's like literature out there. And then there's my document folder full of Word documents of poems that I write mostly at night and save. And like, they're not, they don't live on different planets. Like there, mm -hmm. there's like, there's some kind of connectivity one day there may be between the books I see at stores and the things that I write in my Word documents. So, and and legitimately that book was like a big kind of, Oh, okay. Oh, look at this because it's full of. It goes. It's very like it. It's very. Um, it goes from early on. To, yeah, yeah. It's comprehensive. I'm looking for the word. It's Sunday afternoon. I've had one cup of coffee. Comprehensive. There we go. And a lot of the authors in it are not found in those anthologies that I got at like the no, Carlton University Bookstore. In fact, it. I don't know if any of them are found in it. Um, and so. In terms of Poetic Fathers, it's really fascinating that you picked that book to have a quote from mm -hmm. because that book is like kind of the source text for me for mm -hmm. having a sense that I could have Poetic Fathers, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but and then I had also been a little familiar with John's work and that book made me much more familiar with John's work. And then I read his books, mostly from the library and uh, considered him on a technical level, a really amazing author mm -hmm. and then uh, and then the fact that the content was like, you know, this queer man talking about his queer experiences yeah. was that was uh, really big for me. Um, and then I had the pleasure of meeting John like years after the book came out at a workshop. And uh, I, I kind of I think less dorkly than I would have at the age of like 20 shared with him uh, how much his work kind of meant for me. Nice. So, nice. so yeah, in terms of footsteps that are footsteps, you know, in terms of people whose work I look at when I'm trying to make my own and like have context, uh, he definitely comes out on top, I would say. So was that, was that one of the first books like contemporary-ish poetry that you would have bought or really looked into? At, when uh, probably, out? probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read like, the, you know, I was happy to um have been exposed to some contemporary poets in high school and okay. that was great but yeah even just going to a store and buying a book that just came out mm. like there you don't that seems like realize a that that's something yeah. you can do yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. this is a book that's like alive like it mm -hmm. was it was a word document until a few months ago when it went mm -hmm. to like final draft and so that kind of understanding definitely it's one of the first books where i had that under that understanding of things and then other poetic fathers, you know, I mean, there's there's there are there are a lot of other queer authors mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, Phyllis Webb is another who I yeah. think of who like whose work oh, yeah. I discovered, She's and great. that was a big game changer for me. Yeah. And Bill Bissett would yeah. be another. Um, and I guess I guess yeah I. So you guys shared questions with me in some of these 
address like you know specifically the queer artist experience so i feel like poetic thought like i'm answering like as though it's i only read queer authors but that is not nope. necessarily the case um and uh pk page is another okay. poet who meant a whole lot to me when i was like coming up i would say mm -hmm. interesting what about you guys? Who are your poetic fathers? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're interviewing you. <laughs> we have no questions here. No, we, I wanted you know. to be like a conversation. I'm, I'm curious. Well, you know, okay, if I'm going to answer these questions, and of course that word fathers is kind of annoying, but it, because it's only, but I, I did it, I wrote it in context to, with seminal. That's why I, mm -hmm. I specified in that way and also for other reasons. But for me, I guess some of my influences are uh, Gwendolyn McEwen would be a big one. Um, Sylvia Plath is another one, and Anne Sexton, but also uh, more recent ones like Clara Duplessis and Canicia Lubrin, I would say. And then there's others like um, Robert Croach, who really, so the one for the long poem for me was a big influence, and Dennis Cooley as well. So some of the prairie poets, strangely, for someone coming from Ontario. Off the top of my head, that's what I would say. What would you say? Uh, well, I would say the first poet I was really felt drawn to as a, yeah. as a teenager would, it would have been E.E. E. Cummings. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I really that's kind of when I started I don't know discovering that I liked to read poetry on my own and wanted to seek out more poetry on my own I was sort of only, maybe I was like 16 or so that's good um, and then cared a bit. yeah I would, I would I would say I would say probably him all right see he answers like an E. Cummings poem or <laughs> I would say probably him well yeah and if we're speaking of fathers specifically a lot of yeah. the poets I like are are women yeah Lisa so, Robertson yeah Lisa Robertson I love uh, and Carson, Carson I yeah love. yeah I, so, I like those too I mean I feel like I'm just repeating myself um so yeah E. Cummings would probably be my if I had to pick one person who like really was the thread that kind of got me into reading more recent poetry even that he was you know dead a long time but i think before that i was really encountering poems of like hundreds of years ago and really even older than that in school and stuff like that when i was when i was a kid i wasn't really into poetry so much but i like music a lot so right. i have a lot of musical more uh, interest in i used to write so i wrote songs like well, yeah so, yeah so. i like uh, punk lyrics brand new lyrics <laughs> that's good yeah. Should we get into the book, or do you want to? Do you have any? Are there other questions that are kind of like more overarching that you want to? Overarching. Well, I'm, I'm just looking into. Yeah. Our... What, well, you have some good questions about uh, about uh, like form, composition, and style. We okay. Could... Yeah. Okay. I'll jump into one of those. Jump in. So for for form, I noticed when I was reading it, and correct me if I'm wrong. Each section has a different sort of form. You're talking that... about Mad Long Emotion. Yes. Sorry, but I'm talking about the most recent book, Mad Long Emotion, which was edited by John Barton, I want to say. It was. Here we go. Okay. So um, section one looked like it had a lot of irregular sonnets or all irregular sonnets or they're all 14 lines. So we'll all I never I'll even noticed that. that, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. And then section three is a long poem with, I believe, no punctuation at all. And then <clears> the section two has, I didn't notice a consistent pattern. How did you land on these forms and organize the the book in this way? And did anything in particular in particular draw you to them? Um, I failed a whole lot with this book in terms of getting it to like take shape that made sense, I guess. And it, one thing that made it a little tricky, I guess, is that some of its contents like predate my first book, Otter, okay. and then some of its contents were made kind of around that time, and then some were made like relatively recently. So and I, and so the like. The, I feel like the human in me for whom the story of the book is a chronological one mm. wanted things to kind of be in there chronologically because yep. that's like how, I, yeah, how I have a brain and that's yeah, how brains yeah. organize things. Because um, I was there the whole time, but then yeah. it's like, but I don't right. have to think about my own needs, right? That it's like you know yeah, I'm a reader. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I it, yeah, that I know. <laughs> uh, so I, I just messed around a whole bunch 
Um, and some of the um, some of the sonnets and some of the poems in the third section kind of were commingler. Okay. And um, and so I had like these weird ten line poems and these weird fourteen line poems, and I didn't know what to do, and so I just separated them completely and wound up with like a nice nineteen page long poem at the end, which was a fun kind of byproduct of all the experimenting. But it was yeah, I just experimented a great deal and then landed on a way that worked. And then with my editor John, it was a good uh, you know someone was there to like double check that it wasn't a mess, yeah. and uh, he he punched it up a lot in terms of that kind of structure. So when did you decide that you wanted to have a section or did you decide, okay, section one or one of the sections is going to be 14 line poems? Was there a realization where you happened to do it? Where were you trying to sculpt it that way? Or what was that? I think it's nothing very exciting. I think I was just like writing 14 line poems. I was was reading a lot of sonnets by all kinds of people. And uh, the sonnet is kind of like this nice kind of weirdly magical thing that kind of does some of the talking when you're, when like when you're trying to make it, I guess any form does this, but like, if you're just making a free verse poem, there's no one else there. Of course, when you're making a form poem, there's no one else there, but it feels like someone's there because there's this voice like saying God. like, no, you can't do that. You have to stop yeah. at this line or that. It's like, there's such a history, right? There's such a history too. You've got all of that history in your head when you're of, of, of a form like a sonnet, right? I mean, Shakespeare's there and you know, the others are all there. Yeah. Thankfully I wasn't, I did not think about this. Well, no, that, that's intimidating. Be, yeah. That's intimidating. So, intimidating. um, it, just in terms of the process, that's not, thing that would be on my mind too good, much good. <laughs> that's why one of the re- problems i have with writing forms sometimes i i'm thinking about the people who went before and i don't want to disappoint them you know with my crap i don't think they'll they, a lot of them are long dead oh well yeah know. their ghosts are like worrying about other things i feel ghosts yeah <laughs> like they like it's not a book until i mean i'm not gonna i don't i don't care what they think about my word documents right right yeah, so, no one's seeing it but you. Yeah, no one's seeing it but me, and they're not going to look. They're like, ex- Shakespeare's like exploring the cosmos and like yep. seeing what black holes are like probably right now. So was it kind of that thing where that external structure that you're aware of, whether it's a sonnet and you're writing with that form, it's kind of like a guide to help you along, or sometimes they say restrictions kind of creates us to be, makes us be more creative, that kind of, is that, that's where you were getting at? Uh, yeah, yeah, just... It's, you know, writing is super lonely. So yeah. even the quality of the work aside, thinking about it in terms of something that you're spending your time doing, mm-hmm. super lonely. Um, you can get in your own head. Mm-hmm. This is such a problem that I have and that I think probably a lot of authors have where there's no one else there to like to confirm mm-hmm. that it's working or not working. Mm-hmm. But form poetry, any kind of form poetry, really, and there's other form poetry in the book, um, does a good job of keeping you a little bit in check and it's like it's like an automaton almost that you can kind of consult with okay and who's there to make sure that things are 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 on a certain track and that you know there's a lot of i've written a lot of poems that were not good enough to be put in any book of any form and that's you know it's not going to work every time but it's something that works uh, often enough to slowly but surely create a book yeah, I feel that way when I, I write, often write to instrumental music, and it's the same. It's not exactly the same as writing to a form, but it's. A, I find it to be kind of like a guide a little bit. So you're something. There's like you're writing with something or to something. Hmm. I use I use form as a way. Uh, sometimes if I'm having trouble writing, like a kind of a writer's block, I'll try to do something like a haiku or something, and I will rebel against it so that I will end up writing out of it. Hmm. So like so I, you'll start. I'll start with right. a form, and I won't be able to stick to the form, but it will it will make me 
it will make me uh it will give me inspiration just to have to rebel against it but I've, i also sometimes i do work with form i um some it basically for me the the work the type whatever i serve the work so whatever the work requires is what i spent uh three because i, I had a manuscript that needed I felt needed so or something about it made me feel I needed sonnets. I spent like three months learning about sonnets and trying to write sonnets. And I had at the end of the summer, I had three really bad sonnets, <laughs> which I've never published anywhere because they were crappy. <laughs> but uh, but still, I learned about the form at least because of that. I love I love I love form poetry. I find it fascinating and interesting. Yeah. What do you think a good question is to go to next? Maybe something on revision. I was thinking the same thing. Oh this wow! Is, look this at is that. why we're we're podcast buddies because we think the same way. Yeah, I think I think that that uh, talking about form and 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 also um, poems that uh, die on the cutting room floor and all these different, mm -hmm. it might be a good lead into this. So yeah, so my question: many of your poems appeared first in magazines or chapbooks, which I, I have, and have been changed a wee bit or a lot and published in Mad Long Emotion and Otter, your two trade collections. I have seen everything from the title change so for instance colostomy from mutt or list press to no that's not right it's not didn't change to cadenza i don't have that right do i because i think do i i've because, changed a lot of titles yeah, yeah but anyway so colostomy is here in, in um, mad long emotion so anyway but i've seen things like title change to um lime key kiln road with a few cha uh, words change from above ground press um chapbook to mad long emotion and then poem about a train for instance in which was came out with apartment nine press and then it's uh, in uh, Mad Long Emotions, you have sections rearranged and removed, so it's really fun. It was fun to go back over and, and try to figure out where things had changed. Cool. So yeah, I'm really interested what I've what I've written about Cadenza here. So I'm gonna have to go back and look what see what I mean there. <laughs> I don't think I'm I know I'm not right about that because anyway. But the point is um so um I I want to ask you about how do you revise? Do you ever throw a po out a poem entirely? Are there poems where you've just kept a line or an image only? Like I was. Uh, yeah, I've thrown out like most of the poems I've written, obviously, <laughs> and I feel like that's like probably most people's story. Mm -hmm. um, and the you also have to think about the how the poem is going to be read, like the context that the reader will come to it from. So yeah. if a poem is in a literary magazine, which you know I've published a lot of poems, yeah, it's in a literary one off magazine. thing. Yeah. It's a one off. It's mm -hmm. like your only chance to like say hello, <laughs> and so you want it to be to do things that a poem in a book full of work by the same person doesn't have the same kind of pressure to do and can do different things. That's um, really wise. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, context. It's and and like same with if a poem is going to be read so good. at like a reading. Like you yeah. there so I remember I was at a book launch a year or two ago and it was an author who was she was traveling Canada reading from her book and she read a different chapter of her book at every reading. Yeah. And that's cool, but I would never do that yeah. with any kind of book. It was a fiction book, but I would never do that because I think that there are some poems that are just always good, always better yeah. out loud than others. Exactly. So that's another kind of consideration of the context. And yeah. also I do that thing where when you're reading, you might change a word or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or like, sure. you know, imply punctuation that isn't there mm -hmm. because right now the person isn't alone in a room reading a book. The person is at a cafe or a bar and listening to you they've left their house for you and like listening and and uh so so with context in mind poems that are in chapbooks invariably will change at least a little yeah. when it's in like a trade collection because the chapbook is probably someone's going to read it in one sitting mm -hmm. um you know it's it's a really specific kind of person who ends up holding a chapbook in their hand like most people aren't going to have a chapbook 
aren't going to buy it. Like, they have very small runs, and yeah. you usually buy them direct from the vendor at, like, a small press book fair, like the one in Ottawa that happens all the time, or in some other context. Or you, like, went out of your way to buy it on the Etsy website. Whereas yeah. a book like this, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not being thrown from skyscrapers, but it's it gets a, a slightly wider That's right, audience yeah. that you have to think of the context of. So, yeah, things change. Also... The more editors I have, the more my poems change because right. I've gotten pretty good mm-hmm. at finding editors who I trust, and uh, and I trust them, and they often will say, "Hey, change this," and I'll say, "Yeah, you got it." Do you ever worry about? So you mentioned some of the poems were from predate even your your first trade collection. Do you ever worry about when you're yeah. relooking at your poems or lines? You're sort of inscribing your present day self on something you wrote, you know, five, seven mm. years ago and how a it's good changing. Like yeah, that. but I don't worry about that. I think that that's like a good thing because that's like another way that you can get close to having a collaborator. Because again, writing super lonely. So if I'm working on a poem that I first wrote when I was like 24 years old and a really different living situation and different emotions and probably different opinions and different politics and whatever, right. then then it's like another. it's like a good editor. From a, from a different background, I come to it now, you know, years later, and uh, can find things that weren't working that maybe I hoped were working back then, but just will never work, mm-hmm. or add something new because, you know, I have new insights. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I don't worry about that. I think that it makes it, like, textured. It's like a palimpsest of all the different uh, voices that a person has had. Cool. And one other thing I wanted to ask about, the, when you mentioned context, what I thought was interesting, and you said, if it's in a literary magazine, it's sort of like a one-off, it's your one chance. And I think about things like, what if someone Googles you, and they, which, you know, happens if you're looking up someone that you're interested in reading their work, uh-huh. and they're going to see, you know, maybe they'll see 10 different links from completely different magazines, and the context becomes them just having an array of things published online that they're seeing of yours and they're just clicking on. Do you ever think about how the things that you publish like online or does it change to you when you think of the context of something in a literary magazine online where someone can click around and see poems of yours in different magazines versus in a print collection where it's just the one, your one poem in that one collection? I think that the healthiest thing is to not worry too much about the internet stuff because you just can't control it. I mean, there are like firms you can hire to like doctor your internet presence, which people do when they get like publicly shamed on mass. I've read, but you know, it's like, you know, you're not going to do that. Um, and you know, you throw, if you're throwing your work out there at all, mm-hmm. then you have to be okay with it mm-hmm. being it's too late. exposed yeah, it's too late. to any kind of number of people. Uh, yeah, it's too late. It's exactly. Too late. I don't mean Which, like, like you, do, you might not realize right away. No, I, I certainly kind of learned over time. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean like a like a bad thing of you're like regretting something you put up. It's more like if someone is you know reading your your poems, uh, poems that you're you're comfortable with and you like and want them to read. But if they're just they're clicking on different poems that you're seeing on a Google search, they're sort of interacting in a way that's different from the way they're interacting when they're in your physical book mm. or in an anthology where they only have the anthology and can't click around to different poems of yours do you you see see sort of what i what i mean because often when i first when i hear of a poet that i that i read something that there's are like i might google them and then i just see whatever Mm, poems happen we've been published online then i read them more and if i like what i'm seeing more then i might go out and purchase a book or something like that yeah i understand that and i think that yeah probably if i if I don't think about that too often, but if now that you've got me thinking about it, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, that's not perfect. That's not, that won't do. Um, but by the same measure, like, you know, people might be talking about any one of us at any moment course, and saying horrible yeah. things. And so it's just out of, it's out of one's control, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. I, it is nice. A book is nice, though, because you can be perfectly managing Absolutely. all the stuff. And then you can think of the context and yeah. of the situation. The same with the reading. Yeah. And yeah, it gives, definitely gives you way more control and you can have more thought into what the environment's going to be like for the reader when they're encountering your work. Exactly. Amanda? Sorry, I got distracted by my trying, trying well, to find I can that. ask something. Um, yeah. are, what are we on right now? Should we... Maybe I'll... I'm not uh, on anything but water. I, I can't speak for you. But <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's Isn't let's uh, stick with... Okay, well, let's jump to the style question. That, one okay. thing I was interested in, um, some of the stylistic choices that you're making in, in the book... One of the things you did a few times is repeating these sort of sparse words or phrases in a handful of instances. For example, on page 75, um, then you left, you left, you left, you left a long, thin dent in page 88. Uh, this... That was page 71 in the book and page 75 in the PDF, just saying. You wrote in the notes oh, page, page 75 physical oh, book and page I got 71. <laughs> I'm already doing backwards. I'm just trying to mess you up, Aaron. That's my plan. In page 88, uh, this thought, this thought, this thought for the first time. And then in uh, page 62, in the Park Zoo, do you want to say the first word of that for me? Assiniboine. Okay. Uh Uh, By youth, how half the things he feels, he feels. And there's a lot of wordplay with repetition in the Green Carnation. It sounds, it's a bit like a song. Is this something you've done for a while? And what do you like about this, its effect? Um, So you're now like, 5% 5% guilty of the thing from before that you were talking about where like things being taken out of context because those <laughs> so lines not... isolated those lines work so much worse than I think than in the book um, but so for instance with the Assiniboine and I have the printout of the question so I'm able to see exactly uh, Assiniboine Park Zoo uh, how half the things he feels he feels that's the line but the sentence is half the things he feels I'm talking about my uh, a, 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 like a kid in this half the things he feels he feels for the first time is the sentence mm-hmm. which makes sense as a sentence that's a sentence that you might like overhear someone saying on a, the bus right so I think part of the toying with repetition is like what you can get away with because mm-hmm. you can get away with it. Repetition happens. It can, mm-hmm. it can be uh, when when people are having a conversation with each other it can come up. Was um, it inte- was it not intentional? The repetition? I uh, no. It's not like I was. It's not like I set out to be like I'm gonna I'm gonna have lots of repetition in my book. Right. I I guess it's just like a tool, like any other kind of language piece uh, that can be used to make a book or a poem more interesting mm-hmm. it's just like i guess i do i do do repetition quite a bit i think that some of the chapbooks that amanda has in that big pile um big pile of chapbooks like probably do it too much probably it's oh, I really, that like I really loved doing for a long time and now i kind of treat it as more like a like a, an occasional ingredient <laughs> rather than uh going too over the top with it but yeah yeah repetition can be nice um as a tool generally do you think like for the the first one I quoted, you left, you left, you left, oh, what am I getting? you left, you left, you left, you left a long thin dent. Is that like, do you th- is that part of it? The sound is a part of it just like trying to like really highlight the this sort of buildup of emotion or is there a different reason when you when you do things like that or with this, with this particular example? I guess it's both of those. And I guess this is, the, this is the point where it's like the poem speaks for itself way better than I could like account for it right now. If for you, it was an emotional thing. Or if for you, it had a nice sound when the voice in your head read it over, then I'll take the credit. But, you know, the poem, like, did that. That's, I don't know. Sometimes that's all you can really say, I think. Right? Yeah. 
And that's so ends the interview. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. We are not ending the interview. We have we haven't been going for that long. So shall we continue? You Please, yeah. Your so your turn, Amanda. I want to talk about POWs, which is on the first page. I call Pows. them POW. POW, because I, this is what I've written. Okay, you have such striking and strong imagery. And I mean this like really sincerely here, because I, I, I've taken to calling them lyrical POWs. I have the word POW written throughout all your books and chapbooks. So I mean, even like we, going back to Nuke from 2008, when, th when throat men sing, I mean, I just, I have whole pages and whole chapbooks are dog-eared for this. The Argosy Project, poem about a chair. By the way, uh, if Cameron is listening, I have not dog-eared the artistry project. <laughs> I, have, I have put little pink uh, uh, thingies on it. That was it. really nice of you because he yes, doesn't like that. Eh? I, I, have a, I have to admit, I, have a, I treat chapbooks a little better than I treat books. <laughs> I dog-ear books and I, I'm, I, don't do I usually don't dog-ear chapbooks. I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, back to this. So yeah, so these images are unique but yet recognizable, at least to me, as either experiences or feelings. I've had, but haven't been able to articulate. So, for example, all monsters on earth were once like me, adept at, adept at love, composed of meat, silent with ongoingness, hydraulics, well greased with blood that stays blue so long as you don't let it out. And that's from uh, Assiniboine Park Zoo from um, Mad Long Emotion. I just write MLE, so if I say that, I'm sorry. And then, or as many generations as wet spells with shape newly taken in their hearts, the bugs prepare more bugs for fall. That's from Toronto to Vancouver and uh, MLE 63. And there's all, I have all kinds written down here. And um, these are mostly from Mad Long Emotion, but they're also in uh, other things uh, as well. So, um, so there's too many to list here. Um, without turning the show into a six-part documentary about lyrical pows. So I'd like to I'd like to know somehow how you come up with these. Although Joseph Yanni said something on Facebook today when I was preparing for the interview. It's like, um, I can't remember the exact thing he said, but it said um, uh, something about writing, you're writing so good it hurts or something like that. So he says, asking for a friend. How do you do that? But anyway, something like that. So uh, yeah, so how do you come up with this? I realize that a lot of this is a kind of magic and serendipity, but can you perhaps point to an example of an image or a choice set of words and how you got there, any kind of... Sure, thank you so much. That's super uh, <laughs> kind to hear from you. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, the easiest... Yeah, I, it's a hard question to answer, it but is. the easiest thing to do might be to look at like a specific example. Um, so you cite a few. Um, the all monsters on earth were once like me, adept okay. of love, composed of meat. That's a that's actually like, I think that's the last four or five lines of that poem, A mm -hmm. Point Park Two, and that poem went through and... Uh, way way more edits than usual for me and part of that was mm. that I, I didn't know how I wanted it to look physically I for the second section I wanted all the poems to have kind of different shapes and sizes and for the most part they do and I wanted that one to just I don't know have some kind of interesting shape uh, so it settled on the uh, tercets that the lines of which decrease yeah. uh, over and over and beautiful that was form. with John's help because John is good at making physically beautiful poems, like poems where if you close one eye and blur it and look at it, it's like attractive, you know. That's perfect. That's um, a, that's lovely. <laughs> so so he helped with that, and then I think with the last line, yeah, it's just because of the shape that the poem took. Suddenly, mm -hmm. all these kind of other last lines I was trying didn't work, and then that one was just probably just like took a whole week of lunch hours. Of a whole week of lunch of hours. It. Yeah, I edited this book during lunch hours. Ah, uh, sure. okay. Um, and uh, giving it, you know, giving it a good, like a cool 20 minutes of focused attention most days mm -hmm. uh, was a lot of the editing of this book. Uh, so 
this, yeah, that was just something that I just toiled with. That's like, there's sweat and blood behind that. Whereas sometimes, you know, the good lines, you just like, write Like, like it's nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, you, they just come. You're like, oh, I, can come. I do that again someday? That was yeah. nice. Uh, this was, no, that. that was like, that was labor. Um, just pure labor, folks. That's the answer. Get to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, that's one example. But then I guess sometimes they just come rather magically and sometimes they don't, but I don't think it's magic because I think that when those magical moments happen, yeah. really what it is is the hours and hours and hours you put into it historically kind of just showing all of a sudden in yeah. some like subliminal unconscious way, just you, 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 you develop over time like a sense of what's going to work and what's not. What amazes me is that, I mean, to me, they were there right from the beginning. Like I, I printed out three knit hats, which you can get at, at the at, at Carlton, at an Inwards uh, website up off of a, a WW3. There's a bunch of other <laughs> yeah. chat books. So that was fun. On, it's on WWW3. Yeah. And, I know. Like, if there's something on the internet, Amanda will find it. And like nothing like is to... saved in that in the format anymore. Yes. No, I'm <laughs> afraid it's not. But I mean, even like what, one, one thing I did find, like when I was going through all of your, all of your chat books and all of your um and both of your books is that there, you well i guess this is a slightly different thing but there there's a lot of the concerns are, are are the same from the beginning mortality um the body which we could talk about the body nature like a, a lot of things are there and sufficiency mm. i like that one that's an interesting one too so yeah it's, it's fun to uh, to see that you've kind of but to me even back like like it's over a decade ago now you have i have pow like little pow asterisks uh, for even in three knit hats, you know, so that's an early one. I mean, oh, I think that nice. um, here's here from for the cities of Montreal, Kingston, Ottawa, Toronto, I guess it's a whole chapbook. But uh, so for the first poem, three knits, I guess it's the first poem called three knit hats. I'm not sure. But anyway, I don't even know. So, you don't remember. It's, it's like, it's, <laughs> it was like 14 were, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he but I did not know if you said enduring or endearing, but I, I had already decided words are nothing like boom, pow, I'm sorry, that's pow, it's oh, that's pow, it's like, God, you know, so anyway, Thanks, and then Amanda. for the Argosy, like, you can see, these two can see, I've got, like, little pink things, one little, uh, just a quick, just my quick story that people have heard about the Argosy, this is the chapbook by, um, uh, by Ben that was published by um, Apartment 9 Press in 2009, and um, I really love this chapbook, when I was in the hospital, um, in ICU, Charles read this um, because one of the things they found is that reading aloud to people uh, while they're in ICU tends to help calm them down and stuff like that. So he, one of the things he read uh, was uh, was this chapbook, and uh, apparently, yes, apparently my everything was uh, good and calm. Was, and then when we got home, because I I had been in the hospital and, and near death, and we uh, came home after having been in the hospital for the month of November, and this is about a homecoming, and, and you know, so uh, yeah. I'm not a dog, but uh, you know, or I'm not a, I'm not a, um, Odysseus or anything. But anyway, we we read it aloud again, and we had to, we, it moved us. It really moved us, and it was uh, so. Yeah, thank you for that, and and again, full of full of lyrical pows and other things. Thank you. All right, now another question. Yeah, another right. question right. that makes sense yeah, in, yeah, the, in makes the interview. Sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so I had I had one more like sort of composition question. And stop me if you feel like we've kind of beaten this, uh, beaten this to death. But I, I think the favorite, my favorite poem in uh, your new book was your last poem, "The Untroubled Mind," which is oh. which is a long poem. And you sort of mentioned earlier that part of the composition of that was pulling things from from other poems. I, th I think you mentioned, or 
but is there so did you write that poem was it mostly pulling lines from from other poems that that weren't working was it like that or was it written mostly in a contained period then you took some lines from other poems how did the composition of that poem work and was it different from other poems that you that you've written for the book or otherwise uh i didn't really pull lines from other poems oh no it's like when things are being just kind of written they're not necessarily a poem yet okay so it's just like a lot of i think that it was a time when i was writing not very much it's like that's kind of that there was a year where that's kind of the only thing i wrote okay uh poem which is 19 pages like that's when was that when when were you writing uh that was like three or four years ago yeah um and i a thing i was trying to do i think that a lot of my time as a poet was spent um enjoying getting published in magazines Mm -hmm. and then having a book out kind of messed with me in that suddenly i knew that if something was in a magazine it might have a second life in a book one day Mm -hmm. And so I thought of things differently. I, and I submitted to magazines a lot less. And I cared a lot less about like getting a final product that I could shove out the door. I even thought in terms of maybe I don't want to collect final products all that much. And I just want to write a book. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I shove out the door. So I left a lot of poems in kind of that kind of draft okay. uh, mode without worrying about polishing and finishing touches and having it presentable and, uh, you know, shoving it out the door um so that was a poem that i kind of just let stay in a very drafty place for like a year and i would like come into the file and subtract and uh, um add to the document and just kind of let it build and build and build and then you know it kind of got big and small and big and small and uh and yeah sometimes sometimes in that process i would produce a line that i think oh there's another poem that i wrote last year or something that this would be better for and so um but yeah, that was probably just me experimenting with not finishing work is where that last poem might have come from. And did you edit it less then? Uh, the yeah, because by the time it was, by the time there were lines that I wasn't changing when I would visit the document, mm-hmm. that's how I knew that that line was okay. where it needed to be, I guess. Because I, because yeah, I just didn't really put a time, uh, a deadline on myself. Yeah, I think I would say that it felt a little more raw to me when I was reading it, or a little bit more um, fragmented, maybe. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so too. I think that that's definitely like a result of the fact that it it was like not as edited very differently. And that mm-hmm. kind of opens up the book in a way, right? At the end, to end that way, like to do it that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I th- I find especially when. Um, uh, books or whatever else when it ends on a poem that is feels less finished it's almost like you want to read it or come back and read it again Ooh. it's just like a like a song a pop song that does a fade out instead of a hard ending <laughs> they say yeah. that's like a psychological thing to like listen to it again cool i find it's, that that's uh, a book like where a pop song it would have a fade out ending that's awesome <laughs> yeah that you could you could use that for a blurb for a, you <laughs> a review or something yeah sounds good or a back of the book thing Shall yeah. we? Do you right. want to ask another question? Then I might come up with a secret question. A secret question. Oh, I like secret Ooh. questions. That's fun. Secret words and stuff too. No, we don't have one of those. Remember Pee Wee Herman, the show? He had uh, he had like a, a secret word. I always thought that was fantastic and subversive because like the kids would go around the rest of the day. Their mother would say, you know, potatoes and they'd be going, ah! all day it was like yeah let's do that that's fun i'm afraid i'm too young for pb herman well I, I i didn't watch it as a kid I, I mean i was too old for it when it came out so but you know these things happen sometimes <laughs> who knows why now you don't want anything to do with that but anyway okay so I, i'd like to talk about nature 
All right, so uh, so we're, I feel like we're doing like a quiz show kind of thing. Now the category <laughs> is nature. What is no? Okay, so mad long emotion feels like both an homage to and a subversion of nature poetry. But you, th there is a caring about the environment, but also an unwillingness to flinch from the macabre elements in nature or committed against nature by humans. Many of your poems describe the grotesque and macabre deaths of animals. For instance, in Lime Key. Uh, kiln Road. Now I can't pronounce it or even get the title right anymore. Lime Kiln Key Road. I've got it backwards. That's entertaining. Okay. Um, and um, in Emily, in 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 both uh, the Mad Long Emotion and the chapbook, we have uh, in the chapbook rabbit, dog, blackbird, for instance, all having a sort of a macabre. Like I think the blackbird is inside the house or something, and the dog gets hit by a car. So I can't remember anyway. And then the, the Celtic cross spread an impossibly handsome, which was a, an impossibly handsome chapbook put out by Ferno House back in 2013. The, the speaker of your poems is sometimes associated with Bert. So nature has been a theme throughout your work. From the earliest publications like Three Knit Hats, when you were 18, is that right? You were 18? I think I was 18 or 19. Good grief. Okay, never mind. I'm not. Okay, yes, where was I? Uh, from, from Inwards, uh, Nook, and also Nook, which came out from Inwards in 2008. Can you talk about nature as inspiration for your writing? Are there poems about nature you've read and loved or reacted to in some way or hated or any of those things? Um, Multiple choice. So like my own poems or other people's poems? It could be any. Uh, I, I guess... I don't identify as a very outdoorsy person, although now I, I maybe more so than like when I was a kid when I didn't like spending time outside. And now I like spending time outside quite a bit. Um, but it, as a result of not having been super outdoorsy, I think that I come to a lot of nature stuff like mm. with a lot of um, naivete. Well, plus it's a lot of your descriptions are in an urban environment. I yeah, feel. like and that's probably the environment yeah. where I feel more comfortable as a person. Ditto. <laughs> and so when I, you know, like when I'm on a bike ride uh, and I see a woodpecker, to me, that's like mind blowing. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, I, I think specifically of uh, a bike ride that ended up inspiring one of the poems in the book yeah. where like a woodpecker was flying in front of me for like a second. And it was like a really lovely moment. And if I had spent more time outdoors, if I if I was a more easily outdoorsy kind of dude, yeah. I'd probably not be so like blown away by moments like that where nature like do, does its thing. Uh, but because I come to it um, as not identifying as like a part of that whole world or system, uh, I think that that is what makes me write a lot about it. And so I uh, I think if you're if you're in a city and you're writing about a city all the time, you're gonna sound like you're familiar with things, and yeah. probably it'll be a little bit uh, stilted, and repetitive in, in a bad way, thematically repetitive, you know, and uh, not so um, not so enjoyable. I don't know. I found also find that when I'm in newer environments or having newer experiences, I feel like I'm more, I don't know if inspired is the right word, but I'm more reflecting on it and like I'm noticing things and I feel like that ends up, I'll end up writing more. Yeah. I noticed in your book, there's a lot of like movement, travel, whether it's a bike or on a plane, things like that. Do you feel like when you're traveling or you're moving around and maybe out moving around in nature or, you know, on a train or in a plane, is that sort of jarring? Are you, are you deciding more time that you're sitting down and thinking and writing or is it, are you having these new experiences that you're reflecting on or is it just coincidence? I mean, vehicles are like a big part of most people's lives. Yeah. You've probably been on at least one vehicle today. Is a bike a vehicle? 
Yeah, bikes are vehicles. Okay, sure. Bike is a vehicle. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took the bus here. Even legally, it's. I have not been on any vehicles. You have not. We are in I your house right now. in my apartment, and I, that is wrong. I have been in an elevator. Now it's a fun, funny kind of elevator vehicle. Now it's a fun, vehicle. Vehicle. A fun they definition. They transport a person transport from people. one place well, to another. I mean, are, legal, are our legs vehicles? So is the mind. Mine's a vehicle, too. If you want to get, want to get <laughs> Well, point, point taken <laughs> about uh, movement and vehicles and how we're always moving. So, yes, uh, that is very true. We are on vehicles and traveling and moving a lot. <laughs> and, like, time that you're on the bus or on a, a train. Trains are amazing. I love a train ride. I you know, it's train. kind of like nothing time. Obviously, you love like the train. You, when you, <laughs> when you have, when you look at, when I look at my Google calendar, if I have a train ride, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I travel some, um, then that's what, my time is from like one o'clock to three o'clock is yeah, train. That's all but it's not do. like that's what I'm doing. It's not like I'm no. on the train and like reading about trains and like <laughs> talking to people about trains. Like I'm on a train, but really it's free time, but it's right. still blocked off, right. which is right. amazing. Right. So I can use it. Mm -hmm. And often I have my laptop with me, so I'll use it right. Same with planes. Yeah. Cool. I want to go back to nature, which is what I was talking about when I Sorry, when Amanda, someone for... did to movement. No, it's okay, but I just I still have I still interested I'm still interested in it. Like for instance, uh, Vulgaris, which is the first poem in the first section of Mad Long Emotion, uh -huh. and you read that at the uh, at the launch at the Ottawa launch at Happy Goat actually. Okay. And I was I remember being so struck by the combination of kind of um, like taking uh, like sort of well you call it vul Vulgaris right? So it's sort of like the the uh, sort of like like for instance the, the blossoms were descending and the birds were down to fuck like it's just like it's not the way i mean it's the way we we, we it's the way it's sort of a common vernacular but you don't think of birds as being down to fuck right normally well i mean well, you do but you know i mean it's there's obviously a lot of there. birds around my house that, yeah but uh, i'm not saying like they're dtf you know i'm just not like going around it and also like even this dandelions congregated via wind and beaks and generations they will go far and yellow the world the world with their clones and yellow the world with their clones. I mean, it's just so good. And when you compare that to that uh, poem by um, Wordsworth, you know, I wandered lonely as a cloud and he has a host of golden daffodils, which was the poem that ended my interest in, in, in poetry in grade seven. But, uh, not because of him, because of the teacher. But the point is, is that I just think the way in which you engage with nature is, is first of all, it's kind of both kind of micro and macro, but it's also kind of, to me, I hear all of those older poets and the way they engage with nature as a kind of something that was outside themselves, something that they were better than, uh, you know, something that was around them. And I don't, I find that what you do and what, um, what a lot of, um, I haven't compared your work to anyone else's. And I don't know if that I would do that, but I just find you have a relationship with nature that is more, um, earthy is not earth the right word but more it's sort of like an intimate like you're part of it you're not separate you're in your poems anyway they're part of it not like speakers are part of it and not separate from it and i'm interested by that and i have i have nothing more to say to it than why you, you you put that really well and i'm really okay. flattered so thank you um i i guess i agree and the poems hold up with that too if that's what you saw in them so I don't have much to add. But to you're your not specifically assessment. reading, like you've you've not you're not specifically a reader of nature poems or, no. or not at all. Like no, the, and you're an urban person too. So yeah, I mean yeah. urban. It's like well, I live in the city. Yeah. I live in the city. Lots of people I know live in the city. Yeah. Lots of people who who Most love nature a whole lot live yeah. in the city. So yeah. it's I don't really it's see nothing it so special. Much as yeah, it's that. not a special yeah. characteristic of you as a poet. One Oh, do you have more, Amanda? On nature, I do not. Can I jump in? You can. So I noticed in some of your earlier, your earlier um, chapbooks, like Alert or 
Nuke? Is that what it's called? Uh, Nuk? Nuk? Sorry, it's I like, think I You're talking it. about the north. I'm assuming that's in the north. You're talking about the north a lot. And I'm not, is Nuk that is some... the capital of Greenland. Yes, I thought it might be in Greenland. So, and Alert is Alert in... That, yeah, that's a, that's like the northernmost uh, northernmost town to be populated 24... Or 24-7, 52 weeks of the year. And that's in the North Pole. Right. Is there Was there a fascination you had with the North at the time? And <laughs> has it kind of carried to today? or Because that's kind of like... I was thinking we're talking about nature and outdoors and the North often you think about... When I think about the North, I think about the outdoors. Is something that sort of... Was it a period of time that you were really in, interested in the North? Or is it something that is... Yeah, that's a time that I guess it kind of not like came and went. Not like I'm no, I no longer talk about it. But there was definitely during my master's, I was reading a lot of public policy. uh, Oh yeah, about um, yeah about uh, Inuit communities and Aboriginal communities uh, in Northern Ontario and in the far north, and and so I was like being exposed to all this beautiful language and all this beautiful uh, culture that was you know many aspects of which were really new to me mm-hmm. and i was just excited about all this knowledge i was getting so i put it in poems like in the in the chapbook alert mm-hmm. and uh that was a yeah that was a while ago now yeah, and i guess i kind of got it out of my system effectively <laughs> because it's, it's not like I, ta- I write about winter yeah. and arctic stuff that much more but but it, it is neat that i i you know it, it there's so much neat stuff about about the canadian north and yeah. uh i it I was. I also had to be reading about it for my studies and right. my masters. So it's really worked out well that I also found it interesting on, on a poetic level. Mm-hmm. I have to. I read about and deal with the North a lot in my work currently, and it's again oh, yeah. something that I didn't really mm-hmm. think about too much or encounter before. So I'm finding the same sort of things now. Mm-hmm. Did you want to? Ask about uh, the body, Amanda. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna say we're, we're almost we're, we're almost, almost out of questions. Yeah, which is kind of because we had a secret question too, so that's good. Yeah, that was the secret question. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's what it. I meant. That no, that's it. what I meant. We have, we've even had a secret question, and also like uh, I don't see, I notice I'm not mentioning a lot of otter, but I I really loved otter by the way, and I've got I, again it's it's full of dog ears, so just just to say that as well. Um, the body, okay, so your details about the body tend to be unflinching and earthy. You mentioned shit, mucus, and cum fairly often. There's, oh, was I supposed to warn you? Okay, I was going to say shit, mucus, and cum. There's a raw and visceral description to your writing, which is full of eroticism, nipples, or radishes, uh, like it to write in uh, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure in, in uh, Mad Long Emotion. The macabre is not just in nature, but also in humans, such as the description of glass blowers inhaling and inhaling in Song of the Seventh Son of the Seventh Son from Mad Long Emotion, or patches of dead skin in Notes to Self, Crimson Acne, Violet and Matte Like a Belly Smeared in Louvre, another, from another poem. Um, I could go on, but I don't, I don't, this is such a funny question, but you want to talk about something and you don't know how to what question to ask about, so I, I say, what makes you write this way, <laughs> in this way? <laughs> no, I mean, instead of being, say, euphemistic or delicate in some way, or, you know... It's unflinching. Yeah, I think that um, uh, it's such an enormous question. I know. But like innuendo has a place. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that. So Otter was a, Otter had a lot of the body yes. stuff. Yes, and Madelong Emotion does too. Yeah. But um, to engage when you're talking about hu- a human body or a human life, yeah. which in every instance it is contained in a body, you know, mm-hmm. there are. Um, ways to describe it, I guess, more delicately or euphemistically. But the point with poetry, I think, is to be honest. And I think that innuendo um, or that kind of huge metaphorical 
language that people sometimes enter when talking about things like like the reproductive system yeah and, and you know uh that that that's not gonna help you tell the truth you have that's to right. kind of engage with it in a way that people know clearly what you're saying i also when writing that stuff and this goes back to the first question you asked i think about the history of queer authors mm -hmm. writing very coded work yes and you know poets uh artists of all kinds because they had to do that because they'd go to jail or their female partners would get wise yeah or you know all kinds or they'd lose their job or so and there's history of that which you can read more about in seminal the yes, anthology can. of canada's exactly. game yeah. where john barton and villa nickerson really break it down very well they do yeah um and so i do like to take advantage of the freedom that i comparatively have to talk about same-sex attraction and yeah. same-sex relationships and same-sex sex clearly and it is something that i i'm lucky not to have to hesitate to do that's right you're not so i don't take it lightly because of it or yeah something. and and i and i acknowledge you that held to pay if you were so yeah 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 so yeah. that i can do it helps encourage me to do it because i see it as something that is also worth doing because i think that it's not um there's not a lot of literature out there that does do it because right, for a long time in history that kind of stuff either wasn't being written in the first place or when it was being written it was not being published or when it was being published it was in very very small circulation yeah, or it so was it's banned. nice to like put yeah. it out there yeah it was censored and banned yeah no yeah. I, I i agree this why i brought it but i mean i just i just found like everything is just it's it's always interesting how much of it there is like there is it's, it's through everything like it's a calm it's it's a it's a it's a, a concern and a, a imagery that it's from the very beginning Mm. Of, of your published work i can't speak for whatever you were doing before and you went to canterbury right before you did go you, to canterbury that's right mm -hmm. so right. Be before we get to our last question i just had an observation that doesn't have to be a question but i just i always notice um so i think about this sort of stuff a lot is is when people are in poetry reflecting on like social media the digital life there's a there's a line i really liked from the open thing i think is i think it was this is a photograph I have an issued a number of memories to reflect on today. Here's one of me with the big wound hidden. I'm guessing, I'm thinking of when Facebook tells you you have memories today. And there was another one in a different, uh, different. Uh, there's another line. That screenshot I took that I've yet to delete. You're in the middle shirtless facing away eating a peach. The blades like lean wings, the ceiling a squall made of pot light light. I'm in the corner behind this pale embankment of pixels. And what I wanted to mention to you in that, that first uh quote that I did with the memory issues today the word issued sounded very dystopian to me this whole like you're issued this and this is what's anyways I just wanted to to put that out there that observation out there and and ask if you had any sort of reflections on either how the your the, the digital sphere social media interacts with with art or, or or poetry or or life or anything that you wanted to say it's going to be another really simple answer much like the vehicles question like I was on a vehicle today, so were you. Right. There are a lot of vehicles in the book because it's how I spend some of my time. Right. I also spent some time today scrolling on my phone, uh, you know, like waiting for the water to boil for my coffee. And also <laughs> as soon as I wake up, I often like read, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and the news for like 10 minutes um, as I'm like becoming conscious. So it's just, it's the place I spend time in. So it's right. going to end up 
in the writing that I do, I guess. Right. And I mean, we all spend time in yeah. a digital sphere, right? I was thinking too, but sometimes I wonder, like, I mean, I find something, um, this is just forming my mind, so it's probably completely wrong, but I find there is a generational thing when it comes to talking about social media and stuff as a, as a, as something we all do, we all do it, but I don't find please, someone who is my age, please feel free to correct me. I find a lot of poets my age, you know, I'm in my fifties, don't talk about it. It's not in their Don't work. Don't talk about social media. In their writing. Mm. Well, I think the interactions with it are, are different. Whereas if you're... If I'm you, there a, a lot. <laughs> but if you've grown up and it's been part of something that you've been formulating your, yeah, along yeah, with your yeah. own yeah, identity, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, become like, that just frank engagement with it. It's just yeah. something I did today. Whereas if, but that's interesting. if you didn't yeah. grow up with it, it's no. more of like a overt reflection on something. Whereas if it's... Yeah, it's like it's not yeah, part of And even if it's a huge part of your life, because yeah, people in their 50s use like social media all the time. But... But it's new, right? So like would, for yeah. like most, well, that's, I kind of, I'm kind of just repeating Aaron right now, but if you're, if for most of your life, mm -hmm. it wasn't a thing and you couldn't call someone when you were late for something and you couldn't that's look right. something up at the bar yeah. when you were arguing about what that's year it. a certain actor was born, then for it to suddenly be part of your life, it's, it's still not going to be your thing. reference point. Exactly. Yeah. It's a separate thing. Yeah. So I think maybe in writing, like, I mean, I, I do talk about, uh, talk about things like Tinder or something in, in a mm -hmm. poem or whatever, but I mean... I, it's true. I find now. I now I could be wrong about this, but it actually, makes me want to go back and and see, look at to see whether or not this inclusion of of things like social media or smartphone stuff or whatever is 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 a generational thing or not. I'm curious. I'm it's, extremely interested yeah. in how people who are around eighteen now, yeah, like yeah. a generation younger than, than sure. me, mm -hmm. are engaging with it even differently, and how that sort of the whole formulation of the identity thing is is leaking into like the art they're creating. Mm -hmm. I, I find it very interesting. It is. It's interesting. It is, yeah. That was that was my uh, digital anecdote. Did you want to ask? I thought that was maybe a good question to end on would be the community yeah. one. Yeah, and we're actually almost done. And, and community, and then I have I have to embarrassingly give yeah. you. Lavish That's not a praise. question, though. That you've given yeah. me a lot of lavish yeah. praise. I know. Today. Well, I, I, a whole section for I it. We're though. good. We, we have a section. Well, too bad. Okay, so for community. Okay, so not the show community, but which is a good show. But uh, so you were an inwards editor, if I have this correct, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, yeah. Okay. As an observer and fan of inwards for many years, as a groupie of inwards for many years, I could always tell how much the editors seem to work together and learn together, especially in in that particular period when inwards put out a pile of chapbooks and a couple of three issues mm -hmm. how did this camaraderie happen and how do you think it shaped your own writing um yeah lots of camaraderie you yeah. know a lot of inwards people still live in ottawa and we're all very much in touch and uh i guess we were just keeping each other now that i can reflect on it we were keeping each other accountable we were just like every mm -hmm. week writer circle yeah be there and if you don't have work that's cool but it's still you're, we would still be welcome we would all welcome each other to like still be present and hear other people's work and like i do not have the time to do a writer circle every week now in my life and i didn't no. realize that i wouldn't so it's amazing that i that it worked out in such a way that i and and others from that community showed up over and over because we could and uh so i it definitely made me write more mm -hmm. because I knew that I could share it with people. And now I really don't share work much with people. Most of the stuff I publish, even in magazines and stuff, and I submit, I haven't shared with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I just like do my own editing and then it's out there. And that's what works best for me now. But, and also a lot of people, 
I think early career don't share with other people and yeah. don't do writer circles and that can work very well for people and uh it's um you know different different stories for different folks but for me it really helped knowing that I could on, on an ongoing basis touch base with other people about my work and about their work and kind of see how other people develop and what fascinates them and how they reuse their their own lines and and like also coming to writer circle with bad writing yeah and knowing that it's not working and then that's okay it, though it's yeah. verified that it's yeah. not working yeah. <laughs> and then you notice that you haven't died you know mm-hmm. and so oh, okay i can share i can write bad stuff i can even share bad stuff with people i trust and i might still write something good later <laughs> like it's not mm-hmm. it's not a deal breaker and th- i think that the fact that that i feel like that was a big lesson from that time probably just speaks towards how really genuinely supportive we all kind of were for each other yeah no it seems like that and even even now a lot of you are still in touch i think mm-hmm. from your particular groups which for sure. is even living in the same neighborhood yes right? some of us some, are very close you, neighbors it's very interesting i call it the inwards enclave <laughs> part yeah. of lower town and what aaron do you have anything to add about that because you were also an inwards editor just not well a few years ago now yeah i think my year was probably a little different because we well we came from all different spaces we Mm -hmm. were different majors uh was a few years older than the rest of them and it was we still we got a lot of work done and worked together but i would feel the camaraderie probably would have been quite different than than would have been in Mm -hmm. ben's ben's time because this is i was inwards editor like three years ago like two three years ago much more recently and Whereas Ben was an undergrad, in your undergrad. Yeah, I was in my undergrad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting though that I have two 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 people here who are both were part of that. But I remember the inwards team when I was you were um, at U. when I was at U of O, and mm-hmm. I, you know, and I and I knew them. I wasn't part of that community, but I was aware of them, and I'd mm-hmm. been to some events with them, and I could definitely see that there's a lot of exciting things going on. Um, and they were all, remember, th- they all. I felt like they pushed each other. Um, in a way, not necessarily in an aggressive way, but in a way that they were all <laughs> like, excited to keep, way, yeah. yeah, in a supportive way, excited to keep improving and to mm-hmm. focus on the writing. And I think a lot of people from that community are still writing and still and have you know grown to be great writers. Um, and I think part of that is probably that community that was established when you were kind of just starting out. It was a good foundation. It felt yeah. like it was a good foundation to. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Do we any more questions or no? Is uh, Ben? Do you want to say anything or anything that you wanted people to hear about other upcoming things or things about the book that you wanted to highlight? No, I think that this has been good. Thank you for like reading it and preparing such lively questions, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, then I'm going to say one last thing just because I can't resist. So I yeah, I said I could go on asking questions about poem series, the recurring themes of mortality and sufficiency, the recurring ghosts and tank tops. But I'll leave it there. There were several tank tops. Was, suffice I to noticed say, some ghosts as well. Oh, lots of ghosts. And, yeah. yeah, especially in the last. Suffice to say, I've been an admirer of your work since I first started to hear you read at Inwards Open Mice and since Bywards published New House in 2007. One of my first publications. Yeah. I am jealous of your ability to craft gorgeousness, to write with humor, to make connections that are so apt. Anus and Snowflake, for instance, it got me. And to continue to hone your already well-crafted poems into sharp points of light. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Very You're welcome. And on that awkward note, yes. Awkward. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ben, for for being on the on the show. I guess we'll call it a show. Yeah, we it's a show. That's a show. After three yeah. years, it's a show. <laughs> All right. And until next time. Yes. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Mama.
Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak.